Chapter 43 Surprises Cho was alone in the twilight, lying on the old sofa, looking at the fire and thinking. It was her favorite way of spending the hour of dusk. No one disturbed her, and she used to lie there on Bess's little red pillow, planning stories, dreaming dreams, or thinking tender thoughts of the sister who never seemed far away. Her face looked tired, grave and rather sad, for tomorrow was her birthday, and she was thinking how fast the years went by, how old she was getting, and how little she seemed to have accomplished. Almost twenty-five and nothing to show for it. Joe was mistaken in that. There was a good deal to show, and by and by she saw and was grateful for it. An old maid, that's what I'm to be, a literary spinster with a pen for a spouse, a family of stories for children, and twenty years hence, a morsel of fame, perhaps. When, like poor Johnson, I'm old and can't enjoy it, solitary and can't share it, independent and don't need it. Well, I needn't be a sour saint nor a selfish sinner, and I dare say old maids are very comfortable when they get used to it. But... And there Joe sighed, as if the prospect was not inviting. It seldom is, at first, and thirty seems the end of all things to five and twenty. But it's not as bad as it looks, and one can get on quite happily if one has something in oneself to fall back upon. At twenty-five, girls begin to talk about being old maids, but secretly resolve that they never will be. At thirty, they say nothing about it, but quietly accept the fact, and if sensible, console themselves by remembering that they have twenty more useful happy years in which they may be learning to grow old gracefully. Don't laugh at the spinsters, dear girls, for often very tender, tragic romances are hidden away in the hearts that beat so quietly under the sober gowns, and many silent sacrifices of youth, health, ambition, love itself— "'make the faded faces beautiful in God's sight. "'Even the sad, sour sisters should be kindly dealt with, "'because they have missed the sweetest part of life, "'if for no other reason. "'And looking at them with compassion, not contempt, "'girls in their bloom should remember "'that they, too, may miss the blossom time, "'that rosy cheeks don't last forever, "'that silver threads will come in the bonny brown hair,' and that by and by kindness and respect will be as sweet as love and admiration now. Gentlemen, which means boys, be courteous to the old maids, no matter how poor and plain and prim, for the only chivalry worth having is that which is the readiest to pay deference to the old, protect the feeble, and serve womankind, regardless of rank, age, or color. Just recollect the good aunts, who have not only lectured and fussed, but nursed and petted, too often without thanks, the scrapes they have helped you out of, the tips they have given you from their small store, the stitches the patient old fingers have set for you, the steps the willing old feet have taken, and gratefully pay the dear old ladies the little attentions that women love to receive as long as they live." The bright-eyed girls are quick to see such traits, and will like you all the better for them, and if death, almost the only power that can part mother and son, should rob you of yours, you'll be sure to find a tender welcome and maternal cherishing 
from some Aunt Priscilla, who has kept the warmest corner of her lonely old heart for the best nevy in the world. Joe must have fallen asleep, as I dare say my reader has during this little homily, for suddenly Lori's ghost seemed to stand before her, a substantial lifelike ghost, leaning over her with the very look he used to wear when he felt a good deal and didn't like to show it. But, like Jenny in the ballad, she could not think it he, and lay staring up at him in startled silence till he stooped and kissed her. Then she knew him and flew up, crying joyfully, "'Oh, my Teddy, oh, my Teddy!' "'Dear Joe, you are glad to see me, then.' "'Glad, my blessed boy. "'Words can't express my gladness. "'Where's Amy?' "'Your mother has got her down at Meg's. "'We stopped there, by the way, "'and there is no getting my wife out of their clutches.' "'Your what?' cried Joe. "'For Lori uttered those two words "'with an unconscious pride and satisfaction "'which betrayed him. "'Oh, the Dickens, now I've done it and he looked so guiltily that Joe was down on him like a flash. "'You've gone and got married?' "'Yes, please, but I never will again.' And he went down upon his knees with a penitent clasping of his hands and a face full of mischief, mirth, and triumph. "'Actually married?' "'Very much so, thank you. "'Mercy on us, what dreadful thing will you do next?' And Joe fell into her seat with a gasp. "'A characteristic, but not exactly complimentary, congratulation,' returned Lori, still in an abject attitude, but beaming with satisfaction. "'What can you expect when you take one's breath away, creeping in like a burglar, and letting cats out of bags like that? "'Get up, you ridiculous boy, and tell me all about it.' "'Not a word, unless you let me come in my old place and promise not to barricade.' Joe laughed at that, as she had not done for many a long day, and patted the sofa invitingly, as she said in a cordial tone, "'The old pillow is up garret, and we don't need it now, so come and fess, Teddy.' "'How good it sounds to hear you say Teddy. No one ever calls me that but you.' And Lori sat down with an air of great content. "'What does Amy call you?' "'My lord.' "'That's like her.' Well, you look it, and Joe's eye plainly betrayed that she found her boy comelier than ever. The pillow was gone, but there was a barricade, nevertheless, a natural one, raised by time, absence, and change of heart. Both felt it, and for a minute looked at one another as if that invisible barrier cast a little shadow over them. It was gone directly, however, for Laurie said with a vain attempt at dignity, "'Don't I look like a married man and the head of a family?' "'Not a bit, and you never will. "'You've grown bigger and bonnier, but you're the same scapegrace as ever.' "'Now really, Joe, you ought to treat me with more respect,' began Laurie, who enjoyed it all immensely. "'How can I, when the mere idea of you, married and settled, "'is so irresistibly funny that I can't keep sober?' answered Joe, "'smiling all over her face,' so infectiously that they had another laugh, and then settled down for a good talk, quite in the pleasant old fashion. "'It's no use your going out in the cold to get Amy, for they are all coming up presently. I couldn't wait. 
I wanted to be the one to tell you the grand surprise and have first skim, as we used to say when we squabbled about the cream. Of course you did, and spoiled your story by beginning at the wrong end. Now start right and tell me how it all happened. I'm pining to know. Well, I did it to please Amy, began Laurie, with a twinkle that made Joe exclaim, Fib number one, Amy did it to please you. Go on and tell the truth, if you can, sir. Now she's beginning to marmot. Isn't it jolly to hear her, said Laurie to the fire, and the fire glowed and sparkled as if it quite agreed. It's all the same, you know, she and I being one. We planned to come home with the Carols a month or more ago, but they suddenly changed their minds and decided to pass another winter in Paris. But Grandpa wanted to come home. He went to please me, and I couldn't let him go alone. Neither could I leave Amy. And Mrs. Carroll had got English notions about chaperones and such nonsense, and wouldn't let Amy come with us. So I just settled the difficulty by saying, let's be married, and then we can do as we like. Of course you did. You always have things to suit you. Not always. And something in Laurie's voice made Joe say hastily, How did you ever get Aunt to agree? It was hard work, but between us, we talked her over, for we had heaps of good reasons on our side. There wasn't time to write and ask leave, but you all liked it, had consented to it by and by, and it was only taking time by the fetlock, as my wife says. Aren't we proud of those two words, and don't we like to say them, interrupted Joe, addressing the fire in her turn, and watching with delight the happy light it seemed to kindle in the eyes that had been so tragically gloomy when she saw them last. A trifle, perhaps. She's such a captivating little woman. I can't help being proud of her. Well, then uncle and aunt were there to play propriety. We were so absorbed in one another, we were of no mortal use apart, and that charming arrangement would make everything easy all round. So we did it. When, where, how, asked Joe, in a fever of feminine interest and curiosity, for she could not realize it a particle. Six weeks ago, at the American Councils in Paris, a very quiet wedding, of course, for even in our happiness, we didn't forget dear little Beth. Joe put her hand in his as he said that, and Laurie gently smoothed the little red pillow, which he remembered well. "'Why didn't you let us know afterward?' asked Joe, in a quieter tone, when they had sat quite still a minute. "'We wanted to surprise you. We thought we were coming directly home at first, but the dear old gentleman, as soon as we were married, found he couldn't be ready under a month, at least, and sent us off to spend our honeymoon wherever we liked.' Amy had once called Valrosa a regular honeymoon home, so we went there, and were as happy as people are, but once in their lives. My faith, wasn't it love among the roses? Lori seemed to forget Joe for a minute, and Joe was glad of it, for the fact that he told her these things so freely and so naturally assured her that he had quite forgiven and forgotten. She tried to draw away her hand, but as if he guessed the thought that prompted the half-involuntary impulse, Lori held it fast, and said with a manly gravity she had never seen in him before. Joe, dear, I want to say one thing and then we'll put it by forever. 
as I told you in my letter when I wrote that Amy had been so kind to me. I never shall stop loving you. But the love is altered, and I have learned to see that it is better as it is. Amy and you changed places in my heart, that's all. I think it was meant to be so, and would have come about naturally if I had waited, as you tried to make me. But I never could be patient, and so I got a heartache. I was a boy then, headstrong and violent, and it took a hard lesson to show me my mistake. For it was one, Joe, as you said, and I found it out, after making a fool of myself. Upon my word, I was so tumbled up in my mind, at one time, that I didn't know which I loved best, you or Amy, and tried to love you both alike. But I couldn't, and when I saw her in Switzerland, everything seemed to clear up all at once. You both got into your right places, and I felt sure that it was well off with the old love, before it was on with the new, that I could honestly share my heart between Sister Joe and wife Amy, and love them dearly. Will you believe it and go back to the happy old times when we first knew one another? I'll believe it with all my heart, but, Teddy, we never can be boy and girl again. The happy old times can't come back, and we mustn't expect it. We are man and woman now, with sober work to do, for playtime is over, and we must give up frolicking. I'm sure you feel this. I see the change in you, and you'll find it in me. I shall miss my boy, but I shall love the man as much, and admire him more, because he means to be what I hoped he would. We can't be little playmates any longer, but we will be brother and sister, to love and help one another all our lives. Won't we, Laurie? He did not say a word, but took the hand she offered him and laid his face down on it for a minute, feeling that out of the grave of a boyish passion there had risen a beautiful, strong friendship to bless them both. Presently, Joe said cheerfully, for she didn't want the coming home to be a sad one, I can't make it true that you children are really married and going to set up housekeeping. Why, it seems only yesterday that I was buttoning Amy's pinafore and pulling your hair when you teased. Mercy me, how time does fly. As one of the children is older than yourself, you needn't talk so like a grandma. I flatter myself I'm a gentleman growed, as Pegotti said of David. And when you see Amy, you'll find her rather a precocious infant, said Lori, "'looking amused at her maternal air. "'You may be a little older in years, "'but I'm ever so much older in feeling, Teddy. "'Women always are, "'and this last year has been such a hard one "'that I feel forty. "'Poor Joe, "'we left you to bear it alone "'while we went pleasuring. "'You are older. "'Here's a line, and there's another. "'Unless you smile, your eyes look sad, "'and when I touched the cushion just now, "'I found a tear on it. You've had a great deal to bear, and had to bear it all alone. What a selfish beast I've been. And Laurie pulled his own hair with a remorseful look. But Joe only turned over the traitor's pillow and answered, in a tone which she tried to make more cheerful, No, I had father and mother to help me, and the dear babies to comfort me, and the thought that you and Amy were safe and happy, to make the troubles here easier to bear. I am lonely sometimes, but I dare say it's good for me, and... You never shall be again, broke in Laurie, putting his arm about her, as if to fence out every human ill. Amy and I can't go on without you, so you must come and teach the children to keep house 
and go halves in everything, just as we used to do, and let us pet you, and all be blissfully happy and friendly together. If I shouldn't be in the way, it would be very pleasant. I begin to feel quite young already, for somehow all my troubles seemed to fly away when you came. You always were a comfort, Teddy, and Joe leaned her head on his shoulder, just as she did years ago, when Beth lay ill, and Laurie told her to hold on to him. He looked down at her, wondering if she remembered the time. But Joe was smiling to herself, as if in truth her troubles had all vanished at his coming. You are the same Joe still, dropping tears about one minute and laughing the next. You look a little wicked now. What is it, Grandma? I was wondering how you and Amy get on together. Like angels? Yes, of course, but which rules? I don't mind telling you that she does now. At least I let her think so. It pleases her, you know. By and by we shall take turns. For marriage, they say, halves one's rights and doubles one's duties. You'll go on as you begin, and Amy will rule you all the days of your life. Well, she does it so imperceptibly that I don't think I shall mind much. She is the sort of woman who knows how to rule well. In fact, I rather like it for she winds one round her finger as softly and prettily as silk and makes you feel as if she was doing you a favor all the while. That ever I should live to see you a hen-pecked husband and enjoying it, cried Joe with uplifted hands. It was good to see Laurie square his shoulders and smile with masculine scorn at that insinuation as he replied with his high and mighty air, Amy is too well-bred for that, and I am not the sort of man to submit to it. My wife and I respect ourselves and one another too much ever to tyrannize or quarrel. Joe liked that and thought the new dignity very becoming, but the boy seemed changing very fast into the man and regret mingled with her pleasure. I am sure of that. Amy and you never did quarrel as we used to. She is the sun and I the wind in the fable, and the son managed the man best, you remember. She can blow him up, as well as shine on him, laughed Laurie. Such a lecture as I got at Nice. I give you my word, it was a deal worse than any of your scoldings, a regular rouser. I'll tell you all about it sometime. She never will, because after telling me that she despised and was ashamed of me, she lost her heart to the despicable party and married the good-for-nothing. What baseness! Well, if she abuses you, come to me and I'll defend you. I look as if I needed it, don't I? said Laurie, getting up and striking an attitude which suddenly changed from the imposing to the rapturous, as Amy's voice was heard calling, Where is she? Where's my dear old Joe? Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.